Good morning, and welcome to the Redeemer's Refuge radio broadcast, brought to you by Redeemer Lutheran Church, One Deer Walk Lane in Charleston, a member congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Redeemer Lutheran Church, help, hope, and home in the body of Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto each of you from God our Father and our Lord and King, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, send down upon your church the riches of your spirit and kindle in all who minister the gospel your countless gifts of grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our reading for this sixth Sunday in Pentecost is from Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. About halfway through Matthew's Gospel account, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? How have you heard people responding to that question these days? Several wrong answers were current when Jesus first asked, just as wrong answers to his questions still make the rounds. Jesus would not let his men stop with dismissing wrong theories, though. He pressed them to state the truth. Who do you say that I am? What do you say about Jesus? That remains the most significant question of them all. Today, we will explore how you can help people see God's own answer to this question. C.S. Lewis had such a goal when he examined some wrong answers to this question. Lewis set up the alternative that Jesus is liar, lunatic, or Lord. Commonly, even detractors have said that Jesus was a great teacher. Yet a merely human Jesus making the claims he made would have been the opposite of a great teacher. His teachings would have been false, and he would have been made a liar. Or else, Jesus was demented. He may have sincerely believed all he said, but he was a lunatic. So if Jesus amounted to no more than a mere human being, he turns out to have been a liar or a lunatic. Or, in the third possibility, Jesus had been right in his claims all along. Then Jesus is Lord. That, of course, was what Lewis wanted people to see. Recently, though, a fourth alternative has been making the rounds. Besides liar, lunatic, or lord, it is now said Jesus could have been, and probably was, legend. This thinking usually allows that Jesus truly lived some 2,000 years ago, all right, but it speculates that all sorts of fantastic stories grew up around this man, Jesus. He himself made no remarkable claims to divinity, this theory holds, all that extra baggage came from the fancies of his followers. So the conclusion goes, you do not have to be insulting to Jesus, making him out to be a liar or a lunatic. Yet, this thinking insists that still does not make him Lord. For there is this other possibility, Jesus simply became a legend. But what is your response? You understand this thinking to be completely wrong, of course, but how could you handle it? What would you say to someone who tried this theory out on you? One of the ways of dealing with this, quote, legend theory is to engage in a little thought experiment. Let's try it. First, 
Search your knowledge of the most powerful characters in human history, however long ago. You can also include in your considerations the most powerful characters in human imagination. Think of fictional characters if you like. We have only one ground rule in this experiment. Leave the Bible to the side for now. We will take it up later. And just to clarify for purposes of this experiment, think about power as the ability to get or to enact whatever you want without limits. Now, who had or has that kind of power? Or even who can you imagine having that power? Whose names would appear on your list of supremely powerful people? Emperors, perhaps, or dictators? Maybe one or more presidents of the United States? Be realistic, though. Even someone as powerful as Julius Caesar still could not get whatever he wanted. Among fictional characters, maybe Superman comes to mind. Yet he experiences his frustrations, too. It turns out that even though someone may come close to the limits of power, those limits prove stubborn. They remain, nonetheless. Now make a second list. In all human history, even all human imagination, again, for the moment excluding the Bible, who is supremely self-sacrificing, eminently giving and caring? You can name as many people as you can think of, but at this point I am hazarding two guesses. I am guessing that this second list will turn out to be shorter than your previous one. I'm also guessing that you'll find the second list harder to come up with than the previous list. So who might be on your list of the most self-sacrificing people? Mother Teresa? Maybe your own mom. We know why this second list causes us such difficulty, because we know about sin. For to be giving and caring is more than a matter of what someone actually does. It's also about what one could do, yet fails to do. Also, in addition to overt actions, or the lack thereof, being self-sacrificing extends to words, and beyond that, right down to thoughts. We know what troubles we have in trying to think the best of others, so how can we constantly stay or say the best about them and do the best for them? The Bible adds that if we have not loved the neighbors we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen? Next comes the biggest question in our thought experiment. Does any name appear on both of your lists? That is, can you think of someone who stands out as supremely powerful and supremely good? The two lists seem, well, mutually exclusive. The more a person belongs on one, the less he or she belongs on the other. Abraham Lincoln observed that almost everybody can take adversity, but the real test of character comes when someone has power. In all human history and human imagination, who can get whatever they want while remaining faultlessly giving and caring, even self-sacrificing? <laughs> Certainly not the old Greek and Roman gods who plotted against one another at every turn. All right, someone may say, I can't recall anyone like that but I will exercise my imagination and make up such a person on the spot, right here and now. I'm imagining a person named, oh, I don't know, Randy Schultz, who has all power and is also self-sacrificial. Well, it is one thing to make up a name, but another thing altogether to invent a character. Really, invent one. How would you make this Randy Schultz credible for anyone else? What stories could you tell in which his impressive power and self-sacrificing ways would both become evident? In other words, how would you flesh out this character so as not to only satisfy your own ideas, but able also to press your point home to others? Now, let's not feel bad if this is such a challenge. We're not alone. No author has ever even done this. No one has made up such a supremely powerful and self-sacrificing character. The ancients didn't. Writers of the High Middle Ages didn't. Modern authors, 
haven't done it either. Could anyone even try to create a character like the one we are contemplating and to render this character truly well-developed and believable would require nothing less than literary genius. And widely acknowledged literary geniuses like Homer and Shakespeare did not even make the attempt. You might say such a character would have been too good to be true. Now take the Bible off the shelf and bring it into our experiment. Do you find anyone in the Bible who seems both supremely powerful and completely self-sacrificial? Immediately, Jesus of Nazareth pretty much leaps off the page. As the man who is also God, he is supremely powerful and totally self-sacrificial. Unlike others in both human history and imagination, Jesus did not simply swallow hard and accept with composure and courage a raw deal that someone else imposed on him. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus himself said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When did Jesus ever use his enormous power to benefit himself? As he was tempted in the wilderness, we wonder how he refused again and again to benefit himself. Jesus did not turn stones into bread. He did not make a spectacle of himself and gather a following. And he would not take a shortcut to dominion over the kingdoms and glory of this world by worshiping the devil. No, Jesus kept to his mission, knowing precisely where it would take him, to the cross. There, people told him things like, If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And let him come down now from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. So Jesus' temptations continued even on the cross, yet he remained right where he was. Not long thereafter, in fact, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through all this for you. Jesus refused to use his enormous power to benefit himself. The British historian Lord Acton famously quipped that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But not so with our Lord. Summing up his own saving work in a nutshell, Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On another occasion, he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. St. Paul picked up on this thought and applied it when he pointed out that Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us that in while yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still elsewhere in the Bible, John added, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Supreme power, yet total sacrifice. For God loved the world in just this way that he gave his one and only son gave him as a sacrifice a willing one, so that whoever believes in him would be rescued from perishing, but instead have blessed eternal life and restored in full fellowship with God. Jesus said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Total self-sacrifice, yet supreme power. Perhaps we have grown so familiar with this great good news of Jesus that we don't stop and appreciate its uniqueness. For Jesus himself stands out as unique. He towers over every one of the characters of literature from all ages to say nothing of any other real people. Is Jesus a legend? If so, he would have been the product of perhaps the most profound literary genius ever. And if this story of Jesus is a legend, it was written up not once, twice, or even three times, but in the four New Testament Gospels. 
None of these books constitutes a small summary sketch either. These accounts are lengthy and filled with particulars. Each in its own way shows Jesus as the God-man. He had the greatest power and perfect goodness too. Either Jesus is real and really the one described in these Gospels, or four different sources somehow concocted and detailed the same peerless character unlike any other in human history or imagination. You could put it this way. Jesus is too good to be false. Jesus was not a liar or lunatic. He was not a legend either. The Gospels are true. God stood behind all of this. Jesus is the Son of God. So Peter responded when Jesus asked what the disciples said about him. On behalf of them all, Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus told him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The epistle to the Hebrews begins, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. See, this Son in the scriptures point him out to others. Jesus said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The most remarkable thing of all is that this eternal Son of the Father came to save us, to save me and to save you. In your baptism, he put his name and his claim on you. Baptized into his dying and rising, you are joined with him. He makes you a new creation. He is preparing a place for you. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Meanwhile, through us, sinful though we may remain in this world, our Lord tells others the good news and includes them in this kingdom in his kingdom too. Amen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose Spirit the whole body of the church is governed and sanctified, hear our prayer which we offer for all your faithful people, that in their vocation and ministry they may serve you in holiness and truth. Amen. Thank you for giving us a brief moment of your day. We invite you to come and receive the Lord's blessing through word and sacrament as we gather on Sunday mornings at 1045 for our worship service. We're located at 1 Deer Walk Lane, just off the Paula Road exit on Corridor G. You can find us on the web at RedeemerWV.org and on Facebook at Redeemer Lutheran Church WV. Thank you, and may God bless your day.